Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We have been going on a journey through Philippians, and our theme has been running our race with joy. Although it's not our theme, it's the Word of God. This is what, this is what Paul says. This is what the inspired Word of God says. And, but it's so practical, so helpful, so life-giving for us to learn from the Word of God. Because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what Christianity is. Now, I don't know if everyone in this gathering is a Christian or would readily identify yourself as a follower of Jesus or, or what you think about Christians in general as a group. I know what a lot of people in our community are thinking about Christians, so I'm just going to say it. Christians are a bunch of fakes. Hypocrites. I see them all the time in the headlines. The most scandalous things happen in a church. Sunday, the most segregated hour of the week. I don't want any part of that. And I know people personally that claim to be a Christian, but they live like the devil. So what do you do with that? That good news of Jesus, that sounds good, but it sounds so kind of abstract and out there. I just don't, I think it's too good to be true because I just see it in regular people's lives. It doesn't seem to make any difference. How can I trust that any of this is real? And if this is what our community perceives, it's a legitimate question. I'm not saying they have all the truth, but from their limited experience and from your experience, can't you understand the heart and mind behind the question? Wrestling with this. If this is real, then why do I not see it? And as Paul writes this letter from a prison in Rome, he tells us about a very real gospel. If you're there with me in Philippians chapter 2, you can see it as well. Verses 5 through 12. Sorry, my bookmark was in the wrong place there. So let me amend that here. He says, look at what, look at what God did. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he had all the privilege and rights. He's God, the son of God. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Why? Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus loved you so much, he gave his life to rescue you from your sins. That is a fact. It's a historical reality. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, later, he rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead to show he has power over sin and death and hell. He has real hope. He has real joy, even in the most broken, uh, most, uh, broken state you can imagine, which is separation from life. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, given him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the gospel. Amen? amen. If you believe it, amen. If you don't, it's real. This is a reality. It's not a blind faith. It's a historical, theological, which means it tells us about the heart of God. This is who God is. And it's a physical reality as well. 
because the supernatural breaks through into the brokenness even of death. The gospel is real. So then how can we trust that the gospel is real? Because Jesus has ascended back to heaven now. So you can't see him and follow him like you did back when he was ministering on the earth. That's why when we get to our passage this morning, it almost seems like an awkward transition. Here we're talking about the gospel and, and these beautiful, you know, uh, heavenly realities. And now Paul's talking about travel plans. Travel plans? He starts talking about some of the people he's working with. Seems a little bit awkward. I'm not sure where he's, where he's going with this at first. But here's the point. Paul is telling us and showing us God uses real people to show that the gospel really works. We think the problem with Christianity is the hypocrisy. Well, actually, also, the lives of some Christians who are living an authentic faith with Jesus are showing that the gospel is real and works to change lives. Let's see what Paul has to say about that. Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. You weren't here for the intro. You should know that the church at Philippi were ministry partners with Paul. He helped plant that church. He loves the church. He pastored the church. Now he's in prison, and he's looking for news of their well-being. He continues about Timothy. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly after, I myself will come also. He's hoping he'll be set free from his Roman imprisonment. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, another, uh, another brother and a fun name, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all. He's been stressed because he heard you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So I am the more eager to send him, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the long and short of it is, as Paul says, look at the lives of these guys right here. I'm talking about Christ and what he's done for me and his love. And the spirit inspires his mind and heart to look at real flesh and blood examples of people around him who are showing the heart of Jesus. They've been transformed. And he calls us to do some introspection as well. How does my life match what I claim to believe? So there's two tests here. And Timothy and Epaphroditus show us two different tests. So the first test is the genuine test. You're taking notes. It's the genuine test. So Timothy was first mentioned in the first verse of this book. He's helping Paul write this letter. Most likely, Paul has a physical ailment. He's not able to write it by hand. So Timothy is, is taking down what Paul is saying, and they're teaming up even in uh, writing down the inspired letter to, uh, to the church. Timothy's mother was Jewish. 
We're told that in 2 Timothy 1.5 from her, her, uh, her name, her background, and faith in the Jewish scriptures. His father was most likely Greek, most likely an unbeliever. And yet Paul calls Timothy his son. Most likely Paul led Timothy to a faith in Jesus Christ. And Timothy walked with him in a discipling relationship ever since. He's walking with Paul. He's serving with Paul. He's worshiping alongside Paul. He's helping him plant churches. He's helping lead churches. He's like his right-hand man. So how do we know Timothy is genuine? He considers others more important than himself. If, for real. Paul says, I've got nobody like him. He stands apart. The term could be translated like-minded. Referring back to the mindset of Christ, a true servant who had all the privileges and rights, could have damned mankind to an eternity in the lake of fire and given us no hope, no chance for salvation. But because he loves, he was moved. It's his mind to serve. It's his mind to rescue and to help and to redeem and to lift up. He never took advantage of anyone. You read the account of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in none of those Gospels will you ever see Jesus taking advantage of someone. He didn't have an angle. His angle was to love and to rescue. Always in the best interests of others. And Paul says, Timothy doesn't have an angle. He's genuinely concerned about how you're doing. Legit. That's, that's the, the paraphrase for this, this, this word. Genuinely concerned? It's legitimate. It's not uh, made up. He's not faking it because I know people are looking at us saying, okay, I, I see you gather on Sunday mornings and I see you handing out flyers and talking about Jesus and talking about the church. But what's your angle? Like really, do you, do you want some money in the box? Do you want people to pat you on the back and tell you, you know, your church is so great for our community and, you know, we feel good about ourselves. So really, why are you doing this? And Timothy causes us to, to look back and reflect, why do I do what I do? Is it out of a genuine love and concern for the well-being of others? Even taking care of my family. And Paul says Timothy was literally anxious about the church at Philippi. I get anxious about a lot of things. I have anxiety about a lot of things, and maybe you do too. But how often do I have anxiety about how people are doing? And it keeps you up at night. I heard, I heard they've been through a rough time. No, we're scrolling, we're scrolling, we're scrolling. Oh, wow, that was a really bad accident. I hope so-and-so is okay. <laughs> Just keep scrolling. And I get it. We have full access to everyone's life all the time. You can't be involved in everyone's life doing everything, but is there genuine concern? Well, we hear someone's going through a tough time. Do we feel compassion for them? Instead of only thinking about ourselves. Because our culture does not trust people. I looked up some studies about this. Gallup polls reported back in 1975, 68% of people polled had confidence in church or organized religion. In 2019, 36%. And it's going down. Just That's a trend if you're not sure how to read statistics. It's a downward trend. But not just in the church. Um... Let's see. There's another decline of confidence in another poll from 45% to 21%. And then in the U.S. government, people used to trust the government completely in a poll. 40% polled anyways. 
Now it's 20% of people actually trust the government to do what is right most of the time. And I don't blame them. And look what Paul says in verse 21. They all seek their own interests, don't they? Even in the church, people are self-seeking. They claim to have your best interests at heart, but how do you really know? Because when God changes someone's heart, you can't fake genuine concern. You can fake concern, but you can't fake genuine concern. In other words, if you're the real thing, there's nothing to fake. It's what's there. It's the work that God is doing inside from the Holy Spirit. Turning the proud into compassionate, gentle, humble people. When it's time to eat, make sure everyone else eats first. Right? When there's a line, making sure everyone else gets taken care of. When you're out at a restaurant, it's not, hey, waiter, come here and serve me. It might be like, hey, thank you for serving us today. Is there anything we can do for you? Can we pray for you? Yes, sir. You know how many good conversations I've had with people just by asking, hey, you know, are you okay? You who serve so many people, how are you doing? And I've seen some of you in this church start doing that as well, and it has made a difference in our community. But not just genuine concern for others. That's the root of it. That's the heart of it. But that genuine love continues even in the fire. In the fire and the trials of life. That's how you really know someone's character. Look at verse 22. Paul says, you know, I don't have to tell you, you know Timothy's proven worth. Proven character. He passed the test. So how does something get proven? You got to go through some junk. You got to go through some trials in life. In the church, in your family, in your physical health. Believers and followers of Jesus Christ suffer like everyone else. I wish I could promise you different, but I can't. But here's what's different. God's love continues to abide in us. Our trust in him is not shaken. Might get anxious, might lose some sleep, I might cry a lot of tears, I might ask God why. That's okay. But at the end of the day, a true believer does not turn their back on their God and still loves others. It's proven. Whether it's physical trials, whether it's persecution, and this is why we continue to look to Jesus as our example. When he's crucified to the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You really want to know what's, what Jesus' heart is like? Look at the cross. To the very end, he blessed those that cursed him. And yet, how quick are we to say something offensive back to somebody who offends us? You know, we're trying to, I, I, see, I see these people trying to be evangelists on social media. Don't try to evangelize people through Twitter. It's just not the right format. For, it's not going to work. But people try. And then the cynics and the, the skeptics and the obnoxious people get on there and just start ripping them apart and saying all these terrible things. And it really breaks my heart. When I see these people who are supposedly trying to evangelize, then they respond back to those comments like, yeah, you can burn in hell for all I care. Ah, there it is. You prove their point. Why do you do what you do? Is it I have genuine love for others or are you trying to score a point? Are you trying to get your way? Even in the fire, 
Christians, we have to die to ourselves and live to God. Like Timothy, depending on the Lord in faith. Because faith that can withstand the fire is worth something. Just look at Job. He suffered more than any one of us, I think, will ever suffer. And what does he say in Job 23.10? When I am tried, I'm tested, I shall come forth as gold. Our neighbors are watching us. Do they really have faith? Is this gospel thing real? And they might not listen to you for the first month, two months, year. But then they see you go through some stuff. And they're going to ask you, how come you didn't just like turn your back on God? And how do you still have joy in the midst of all this? There's your opportunity. Do you have the faith that's going to shine like gold? I know we all falter. I know we all fall short. None of us is perfect. But as the Spirit works through us and we confess our sins and we give it to the Lord, we can have genuine faith and pass the test to show people the gospel is real. Here's a couple of application questions as we finish up our, our passage on Timothy here. Do you genuinely love people or do you use them? What about your conversation? Are you constantly waiting to jump in on a conversation? Like, you're not really listening to that person talk. You're, you're just, you want to get your point across, so you're like interrupting them, or you're going to say what you're going to say regardless of how they respond. You're just trying to advance your interest in the conversation, even when talking with people. Are we listening? Are we caring about them? Here's another thought. If we are to live our life as an example, who are you making time to be an example to? Are you in too big of a rush to even show people? Look at what Jesus has done in my life. Because the to-do list is so long. But every time we show up to church, every time we sing and worship, every time we pray over others, every time we serve, every time we fellowship, every time we outreach, we show Christ. It's a discipling opportunity. Timothy was genuine. As he showed his love to others, they saw Jesus in him. Here's the second test. The minister like Jesus test. Epaphroditus. Oh, love that name. That's a long one. In case you're curious, he was named after Aphrodite, the Greek goddess. So he was not raised in a believing family. He was raised in the culture like everyone else. So what happened in his life? At some point, he heard the gospel. He gave his life to Christ, and he loved the Lord and served him. How did he serve people? Did you see all those names that Paul gave him? All those descriptions? He proved himself as he followed the Lord because he valued other people equally. He was a servant. So Paul calls him a brother. Paul calls him a partner. Like, he's my partner in this ministry. He's also a soldier. Come hell or high water, this guy, man, he puts on his spiritual armor and he goes to battle and he prays for people. He's also a messenger and a minister. And that's all we are. I'm not up here telling you to be the light to people. Jesus is the light. That's not my job to be the light. I'm to be a willing minister, a willing vessel to let God's love shine through me to others. I'm just a messenger, I'm just a minister. And I love how God uses his people to serve for and care one another. Paul said in chapter 2, verse 3, in humility, 
treat others better than you treat yourself. That's what Jesus did. And a follower of Jesus also humbles themselves because there's an authentic love there. That like we genuinely care that someone else is better off than I am. When the spotlight is on, we serve. What happens when the spotlight is off? What happens when you're not around your church people and you can be your real self in the workplace? Someone who has a heart like Jesus is still going to serve. Not perfectly. Still going to be serving. Still going to be loving. Not going to be insisting on their own way. So, in our church, this is our, our entrance, our main entrance. If we have two people walk in next Sunday, say we have a wealthy businessman. He's connected. He's, he's networked. He's got wealth. He's got influence in our, in our community. He walks in here. And then we also have a young teenage girl walk in. Doesn't know anybody. Looks out of place here. Not sure if she's in the right place. Which of those two people do you feel compelled to help? I hope both. But I think we have to ask that question because I'm just inclined to look for those who are important in society. Jesus tells us, look out for those who are on the outskirts as well. We're called to serve no matter who you are because we love you. And every Sunday we gather and every weekday we, we scatter. It's an opportunity for us to love people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I had the privilege of taking our, our next generation ministry team to a Florida Baptist gathering in Orlando on Tuesday. I got to tell you, this team had a servant's heart. They got up at like 4.30. We left at 5 a.m. Driving out to Orlando, spent the whole day out there, drove back, got back at dinner time. We were wiped, but they had a heart to learn. How can we reach this next generation for Christ? The sacrifice. They gave up something. Thinking of others. And they should. Because in Florida, there's four and a half million People under the age of 18. Four and a half million. There's one million on college campuses, of which we have several in the area. About 17,000 college students in our area. And you know what makes a big difference from students when they transition from uh, being an adolescent to adulthood? If there's anything to this gospel thing or Christianity or you know, if I was raised in the church, will I stick with it? There's two things that studies have shown make the difference in these students' lives. First, it's adults investing in them. If adults invest in them, they'll stick around. Because it's not just big church. These are people who genuinely care for me. They love me. They've taken the time to get to know my story. And the second thing is, Adults in the congregation, not student leaders, just adults in the congregation who invite them to serve alongside them. They treat them as equals, not as, hey, you'll be a part of the church one day. You just hang out in youth group and you eat pizza and you play some fun games. And when you're older, you can be in big church and you can do you can help lead worship and things like that. Oh, no. They say, how do you value me now? Not 10 years from now, how do you value me today? And a church that values me today is a church I want to be a part of. And I think you would say the same if you're being completely honest. Students are looking for people who genuinely love them. 
But here's the last point I want to make, and this is why so many of us stop short of doing what it takes, because you have to risk something for the gospel. In order to really serve someone, you've got to risk what you have. Epaphroditus nearly died in order to serve Paul. Taking him a love offering from the church of Philippi nearly killed him. That's what verses 26 to 27 tell us. He was on his deathbed. He nearly died, verse 30. He risked it all, but God was merciful. God brought him back. And that's what I want to emphasize. It's not just, oh, I, I risked something for the gospel. I hope God rewards it or whatever. No, the whole point is God calls us to step out by faith so he can show how he provides for us. Not how, how do I provide for myself or how can you provide? How does God provide? Like when he called Peter to step out of the boat and walk on the water. It's terrifying. And Peter soon found out how terrifying it was. But you know what Peter did? He walked on water. Has anyone in here walked on water like that? Peter took a risk and he saw God provide because God's a merciful God. Hear me. God does not want you miserable. God wants to show himself good to you. The question is, will you hold out your hand and say, Jesus, lead me. I trust you. I'm risking my reputation here. I'm risking my, my eternal security. You know, if Jesus Christ is a liar, I'm not going to heaven. I put everything on Jesus. You know what? He's never let me down yet, though. So I'm in pretty good hands. How about you? When you risk what you have, you see a merciful God provide. You see his gospel work continue and do amazing things through you. The gospel made visible is the church. The followers of Jesus. His spirit is in us and we show his love to others. So if you ask me the question, Josh, why are you sacrificing so much to plant a church in North Sarasota? It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. You're, you're cultivating relationships that might take years to develop because people need to see Jesus. And I want them to see Jesus through me. Do you want them to see Jesus through you? Then it takes the church being the church, being real, being authentic, humbling ourselves, fully devoting ourselves to Jesus, making followers of him. Because I think of people in my life who've had an impact on me because they were consistent in their walk with the Lord and served in the church. I think of my first grade teacher in Sunday school, Mrs. Esther Brown. You know, it's funny, as I'm working on my, on my message earlier in the week, I reached out to Dad and I told him, you know, it's a lot of fun to think back on all the people that God's used through the church to show me what it's like to follow Jesus. You know what he said? Hey, did you think about Miss Brown? I taught you in Sunday school. I said, that's the first person that came to my mind. Is that crazy how that works? He was the pastor at that church. I was just a little kid in first grade, but we both saw the same thing. Jesus is working through Mrs. Brown. And she taught Sunday school for 50 years. And her husband never came to church. This lady faithfully came to church every Sunday to invest in kids that were not her own. And to this day, I carry her example in my heart. Man, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for Mrs. Brown. I can also tell you about Dan Loggins, my student pastor, who came to all my football and basketball games. 
Why? I don't know. I guess he cared about me. You know? <laughs> I can tell you about Don Meredith. I can tell you about Jeff Olds. I can tell you about a whole number of people. And I'm specifically not mentioning family members, although, yes, they model Jesus for me all the time, but I'm talking about people in the church who could have been anywhere else on that Sunday, could have been anywhere else on that Wednesday night, but they chose to invest in me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's because someone invested in you, share the good news of Jesus with you. So who can you go and invest and be an example in? And to conclude, you look at verse 29 and you see why this is such a big deal. Paul says, receive these servants in the Lord with all joy and honor them. Joy happens in the church when people are reflecting the love of Jesus. That's how we run our race with joy. Focus in on Jesus. Love him with all your heart. And the joy comes. It's hard. And you're running a race. And life is difficult. And you're getting pushed on and stepped on and devalued. You know, I once used to oppose God. I used to be a sinner. And he had mercy on me. Now he calls us for the joy set before us to do the same. Will we treat others the way that Christ does? When people look at you, do they want to know more about Christ?